Welcome back to the Process Podcast. I am joined by co-host. I wanted to say co-host number two, but that seems like it sells you short. Mm. How do we? It's like A B is not good. Like red yellow. Mm. How do we differentiate between you and Scott? It's tough, man, because you know Batman can only be one Robin, and, right? Uh, right. You know, someone else comes in, and it's it's awkward. So I don't know. However, however you want to phrase it. Okay. I'm okay with it. Okay. You're not, uh, you're not the alternate host. You're just a fellow, another, the second that, damn it. I said second again. You're the first co-host, whatever. Shut up. You All already right. said what you so said. So what we're going to do is, uh, just to clarify. So everybody knows the point of this podcast is to help people. I would say who are struggling with willpower, procrastination, those kinds of things. And I think they can live vicariously and learn a little bit through your journey. So like the things that you're going through uh, as somebody who's out in the world, pursuing something creative, pursuing a slightly new entrepreneurial path. Uh, And that's why I'm going to check in with you about what's going on your life in the hopes that you, the listener can play along, check in with yourself. Later, we're going to debate this question. What's a better measure of success, joy or achievement? But uh, but before any of that, I want to know what's what's happening with you. What's a uh, what's a win from the last six weeks or so? Well, I wrote an article okay. uh, for for a website called Defector, which was formerly Deadspin, and that's kind of how I cut my teeth as a writer. I mean, I first, when I left the NFL, first started writing kind of experiential pieces about what it's like as a player, and Deadspin published it. You know, the stuff I would write right off the bat. Anyway, they've turned into a, a paid site. And, you know, now the, uh, the, the editor that I worked with there still works there. And so I can send him a pitch if he likes it. I write the article. Boom. Bada bang, bada boom. Here we go. Get a little money and a little, uh, you know, a little attention and keep my name out there in the circuit or whatever. But I wrote an article that got quite a bit of attention. And it was about a fellow named Josh McDaniels, who uh, was recently fired as the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, in the middle of his second season, the guy's a complete train wreck, dipshit, right? And uh, and he did the exact same thing here for the Denver Broncos. He took over for Mike Shanahan when Mike Shanahan was fired in early 2009, and he coincidentally fired me, right? So interestingly, I was fired recently again. We talked about that last podcast, and since then, I got some good attention for writing an article about the same dipshit who fired me 15 years ago almost. Um, anyway. Amazon.com, you can sort of see where your book is at. Like my book, got a little boon from it. Some book sales, got a lot of attention. A lot of different outlets picked it up and people were hitting me up about it and did some interviews about that because of, uh, I don't know, it's an evergreen topic. This guy continues to kind of shit on the game I love and make football players miserable. And he's a really smart X's and O's guy, but he's a horrible leader. Mm -hmm. And he just makes you hate the thing that God made you good at. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a sin. And so when he got fired, it, I saw that as an opportunity to tell this, that story again with a new twist and with some new information. So that was a win. Um, and yeah. Is Defector, when you said they're a paid model, is it, how are they doing it? Is it subscription style or is it all, is it more like The Athletic? I or? don't know the difference. Oh, okay. Well, The, the Athletic is another site for sports news yeah, where they that. charge a yep. subscription yep. and the athletic has taken over a lot of like the New York times staff, I think. Yeah. Um, it's like that. Okay. A lot of the same Deadspin staff Got works at defector. They just, you know, you, you're required to pay a monthly subscription to, to, to access that stuff. So mm-hmm. 
Um, and then I've just been writing, man. I've been doing a ton of writing. Um, Does it feel like it sounds to me as you are talking about this, the excitement in your voice would indicate that the writing is kind of the start to it all. And then you getting to talk about the things that you're writing about yeah. helps to make sense instead of just being the talking head. Yeah. It's funny the way, the way it works. I mean, you write an article and then people are like, Oh yeah, I remember that guy. He's got something to say and, and it's maybe interesting and let's, let's see if he has anything else to say or, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. I mean, I had a, I had a, a guy named Seth Wickersham. I don't know if you know that writer. He's an ESPN writer and he's been writing for ESPN since 2000. He's done a bunch of stuff, won a, won a bunch of awards. Well, that article came out and like a couple hours later, I get a text from Seth Wickersham, like basically telling me he loves the article, he loves the writing, but here's a couple things you got wrong. And then you might want to <laughs> send to your editor just to make sure for accuracy's sake that, it's, that you don't, because the piece is so good. He said like, mm. I wouldn't want these couple things to bring down the quality of and then now I have this back and forth going with him and I'm sending him an idea for a larger thing I have. And he's like, I love this idea. I keep going. And then if, you know, if you have something, I can put it in front of my bosses, that type of thing. So, yeah. um, yeah, it, it's, it's, you never know what is, what a kind of attention a, a simple article will bring mm-hmm. if it's based or if it's based on a current event that everybody's talking about. If you've got a certain twist to it or a certain perspective on it, that's unique or, or you're good writer and you can word it well and you put it out there you never know who's going to contact you and want you to either write more or be interested in it or just be reminded that you exist mm-hmm. right and so so while all these people were coming to my twitter page and doing all that i reminded them that i also wrote this book and if you want to you know <laughs> click on the link you can go buy it and certainly they did like so i was able to track some of the sales and not, not like sale by sale sure but you, it did, shows, you weren't able to see like christine in hack no it just shows you like it just shows you like you're the 280, you're the 28,322nd best selling book you know, oh, on Amazon, I know. right? Yeah, now. yeah. I, uh, I check that too. You know often. how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> well, so what I think is, is fun and useful about that, that guy, Cal Newport, who wrote that book, Deep Work, talks about how the ability to focus and do deep work becomes ever more valuable the more distracted everyone is. I think something similar is true with writing, right? So, Everybody says the future's in video, right? Everybody's like, you got to make more videos. Well, everybody's making more videos. So therefore you have to be so good at it to rise to the top that there's this potential of zagging when everyone else is zigging. There aren't that many people who can actually sit down and write. That's why so many of these writers we love have gone to podcasts or video content because in some ways it is easier to just be off the cuff and not have to take the time to edit and compile your thoughts. So I've been thinking too a lot about that thought that if I'm good at this thing, just keep doing that thing, especially as there is this attrition away from it, right? People are getting away from it. And like you said, it gives you a chance to really express yourself fully and have it exist as something a little weightier, a little meatier, right? Than just a two minute clip of you saying this, which is going to disappear into the ether. It's gone, right? Yeah. This was a 1500 word piece and that's not, that's not very short. And when I said it to him, I was like, it's going to be a bit long. I mean, feel free to, you know, cut and let me know. And he's like, no, this is actually really perfect. And he just mm-hmm. had a couple of little grant, you know, tighten up a few things here, but he liked it that long. And, right. and the audience liked it that long. Like the response was like pretty fucking good and, and, and surprisingly good. And people do want to read stuff. They do want to reconnect with that. They do want to step away from, like you said, like, the video content and the quick, like, 
I'm talking on my Instagram stories as I'm walking down the street. You know, I just had this thought, you know, yeah. like, like, okay, well, people actually want to separate themselves for that and, and think about things and see a well thought out argument right. that you actually substantiate, that you argue for in mm-hmm. different points and experience and perspective and things like that. So, yeah, I think well, it also, it, it probably also puts you in touch with the listener reader audience that you're more interested in anyway. Yeah. Like if you're chasing after these people who are just going to forget about you tomorrow, that's not really a great investment. Whereas if you get somebody who is interested in further pieces that you write and more books that you write, that actually extends your career in a lot of ways. Right. Yep. Yep. Uh, One more thing I've been writing um, and I've been wanting to write this for this idea for a long time. Quitting weed. Ah, okay. I've been smoking weed for, a long time since mm-hmm. I was in, a teenager. Okay. And it's pretty much been a part of my life off and on ever since. Um, you know, when I was playing professional football, didn't smoke it a lot. Did when I was injured or when I was particularly like tired or at the end of my career or whatever. But when I stopped playing football and I had all these psychological issues and pain, legitimate pain, and I was in solitude and stuff, I really leaned on the marijuana. Mm-hmm. And then I started writing and I wrote these, this first book and I was leaning on the marijuana while I was writing it, not necessarily while I was writing but during the editorial process. Mm-hmm. And then I just kind of became a stoner man. and and I've been smoking pot pretty much every day and not every day, but almost for 10 plus years. Mm. Okay. And I've been like, what the fuck are you doing? Stop, 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 stop. You know? And so I've always, I've been wanting to stop and I've been wanting to do this quitting weed journal. Mm. And uh, 21 days ago, I okay. started it. Okay. And I've been writing every single day mm. and I've been using, you know, the, the idea of quitting as a, kind of an, a way to tell my own story with the plant. When it, when it went from basically when it was illegal and it was fun and I was getting away with it, it was about mischief. It was about being having a secret and doing something silly with your friends uh, to, to then it became medicinal for me in football to then I became this cannabis advocate because I was stupid enough to tell my truth in, uh, <laughs> in the first book I wrote, which right. was like two paragraphs about how I preferred marijuana to opioid painkillers after a, an injury mm-hmm. to recover. That, that remains true. I don't mm-hmm. like pills. If I'm hurt and I'm laying around the house recovery wise, I think weed is helpful for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went ahead and told that secret. And then after my book came out, I thought I was going to be all like people wanting to talk about like the meat of the book, which had nothing to do with pot. But I became this cannabis advocate. The book came out and that was the one thing that people glommed onto. Next thing I knew, I had Andrea Kramer from Real Sports with Bryant Gumbel sitting in my fucking living room asking me about marijuana. Huh. The, the story came out, and then I became this like marijuana advocate guy. I was getting flown around the country to speak at these cannabis conventions and shit. And They're I, like, if it's good enough for this NFL player, it's good enough for you. Well, that's what it is because typically stoners <laughs> are looked at as losers, right? You're a loser stoner. Well, the cannabis industry saw in me and some other of us who were willing to speak about it as as the breaking of that mold. These are successful stoners. We can hitch ourselves to them and they can legitimize what we're talking about, which is that cannabis is the wonder drug and there's nothing it can't help you with, right? Mm-hmm. So as, as I was talking about, like my, you know, the book writing and me being lost and stuff, I kind of turned into a little bit of a, sto- a hermit stoner, but I was hoping that the book would pull me out of that and pull me away from it. Little did I know it was going to pull me into it more because I would go to these things and people would give me free weed. Mm-hmm. And it was like, here you go, man. Wow, you smoke pot. No, it's not pot. It's cannabis. As long as you call it cannabis and don't say you smoked it, say you consumed it, okay? <laughs> don't say you got high, say you medicated, mm-hmm. and then we're going to give you a standing ovation, okay? 
And so I got pulled into this like discussion about it and it reached this weird fever pitch. And I think the ultimate realization that I need to get out of it Mm -hmm. was when I got a call from Aaron Hernandez's defense team asking me if I'd be a witness in his trial. (laughs) And I'm like, probably not. Right. So anyway, I've been on this like journey with weed, right? Mm -hmm. And then as a parent, it's like, it can be helpful because you get, because your ego dies when you become a dad. Okay. It's not about me anymore. It's always been about me, but now it's not. It's about my wife and now it's about my son. And I have to do what, what they need. I can't do what I want all the time. Right. And that hurts. That hurts the ego a lot. And sometimes when you're frustrated with that and you're thinking all the things you should be doing or could be doing, and this is going to get into what we talk about later, joy versus achievement, right? Mm-hmm. I, I need to be successful. I need to be achieving things. Well, no, you need to be present for your fucking two-year-old son who just wants to play. He wants to sit on the floor and play with some blocks. Mm-hmm. So if I walk out in the backyard, take a little puff, walk back in, I sit on the floor and play with blocks, Paul. <laughs> and so it makes me a better dad in some situations. Right. Or is that me just telling myself that? Because mm-hmm. I rely on it. Right. Why can't I do that without it? These are the these are the questions I've been grappling with that I am trying to unpack unpack with this mm-hmm. quitting weed journal. But twenty one days I've been writing every day on it at least a thousand words a day. I got about twenty five thirty thousand words on the subject mm. right now. So whether I do anything with that or not, who gives a shit? Because mm-hmm. it keeps me very sharp for other writing projects, and I could just sit down and bang something else out because right. I'm staying on top of the writing. So was it twenty one days ago that you stopped? Yes. You stopped consuming cannabis. <laughs> and the reason why I did is because I got sick. I got, I got oh. like, a, like a stomach flu thing. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I was wrapped around the freaking toilet, right? Mm. Spraying out of every orifice, you know, or a fist. You've been to those parties, those wine parties where they give you those things that wrap around the stem of the, mm-hmm. that's how I was wrapped around my toilet. <laughs> uh, that was a thing going around in Park Hill because my cousin who lives over there yeah, with her one, one year old also had a Here's GI tract. No, no, oh, she had oh, the, okay. uh, yeah, she had the GI bug. That, well, my son got it too the next yeah, day. Yeah, it was like, it went from, in her case, it was like her son or yeah. one year old to her. Yeah. And they live, I don't know, eight blocks from you or yeah, something. Yeah, that's weird. So maybe you know, it's, prior to three weeks ago, my son, who's almost four, had never vomited in his life. Whoa. Never. And then that night, the night after I got sick, my mm-hmm. wife was upstairs with him. They were like playing cutesy in the mirror. They're like, oh, and he's like, pukes everywhere. So anyway, I, I figured that was a good way, place to start. Okay. Because it was like, I'm not going to smoke weed for the next couple of days anyway. I'm just. Well, this dovetails well into my questions for you about uh, how things are going with regard to, for example, your sleep. Yeah. Scale of one to five. Yeah, it's at a four right now. It's it's not bad. Okay, but have you noticed any change? Uh so this feels like I'm giving you a physical. Yeah. So the first, uh, the first three or four days were actually the sleep were very hard because I'm sure, yeah, because you're used, used to, to yeah come down. And you know the thing about the weed is that it it helps you sleep and it also suppresses the dreams. You don't dream. Oh or you don't yeah, remember yeah. Remember the dream. Right. They say that is true about booze too, right? Yeah. Like sometimes when you wake up after a long sleep, if you were drunk the night before, you will have no dreams. Right. And then if you, once you start to clean up your act yeah. later in the week, you're like, whoa, I'm having great dreams again. Yeah. And so for people who are tormented by their dreams, who have PTSD or it can mm. be a good thing, right? right? They're trying to escape the subconscious. Me, I'm not, I've always enjoyed my dream world. So there was the sacrifice I was making with weed. Mm. I was not dreaming. Um, three, first three or four days I was, I was angry i was you know like i wasn't sleeping well i was irritable and things like that but after four like day five or six uh sleep you know i i adjusted to it i was i was sleeping well enough 
And I was remembering my dreams in the morning. So it was pretty cool, man. Yeah. And so, yeah, 21 days later, my sleeping is good. My dreams are very alive. Mm-hmm. Last night, it was crazy. I mean, I was like, I was. <laughs> well, oh. you've got all this pent up dream yeah. world to be. <laughs> I was like, uh, I dreamt of multiple specific friends last night. Like we were all together. Mm. And, and guys I haven't talked to in a while, but some of the best friends I have in the world were in my dream last night. It was like I was hanging out with them. Oh, cool. You know what I mean? So it was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. What about your diet currently? Yeah, so part of this uh, part of this process is cleaning up my diet as well. Because um, well, smoking made you have less, fewer inhibitions with regard to what you ate or? So, okay, I'm going to keep taking you down this road with what I'm going through right, right. now, okay? I've had stomach issues, acid reflux for years, mm. okay? My father had a stomach ulcer that sent him to the hospital for two weeks when he was roughly my age. His dad died of stomach ulcers when my dad was 15 years old and his dad was roughly my age. Oh, wow. Um, I know I have a buildup of acid in my stomach. I've had acid reflux for a while. Like I said, when I played football, I took a shit ton of anti-inflammatories that they would give to us like fucking Skittles yes. for every, yes. and I was constantly eating those. If I wasn't eating those, I was eating four Advil just to go out to practice. Right. And then you start taking a bunch of Pepto-Bismol because your stomach sucks. Right. Yes. I remember so, this so vividly. Right. I would just eat Advil all the time. Exactly. And you don't real, really realize the damage you're doing in there. Which isn't just... um potential inflammation to your gut lining, but it's also like it kills off some of the great flora that are in there. I've learned, which is weird. And it explains like why during my career, I was always on the toilet Mm -hmm. just like, and just thought that was how life was. It's not go ahead. No, no, you're right. And I've been, I've been dealing with that for a long time. And here's where the cannabis comes into that cannabis. um, It's, it loosens the esophageal sphincter, which Mm. is, the gate between the throat and the stomach. Mm -hmm. Okay. You smoke anything. It loosens that. And you smoke it before bed. It opens it up right before you lay down. And then the Uh, acid flows into your throat and burns your fucking throat up. Right. You know what I mean? And so these were issues I've been dealing with, with the cannabis and you know, some, some, some people who smoke weed have really bad stomach issues. They can't eat unless they're high. I'm not that guy. Um, but, um, anyway, I wanted to tinker with how much of my stomach issues were contributed to by the weed as well. So, um, so yeah, so my diet's been pretty good. Um, I've kicked coffee sort of, I have a little bit, I had a little bit today. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm out. I I can't kick coffee. Yeah. Well, if you're not having any issues, who gives a shit, right? So So, what's your, what's your rating? Uh, on the diet? Yeah. One to five. Four. All right. How's your workout routine? Cause and this is important. Last time you were talking a lot about workout routine and desire to make that change. Yep. Last time I wrote down, you were going to use vanity as a motivation. <laughs> Did you effectively do that? Yeah, man, I'm back. I'm back working out. I've worked okay. out, I think three or four straight days. All right. Um, and then probably in the last two, two weeks since I, you know, gotten sick, I've been work. I lost some weight when I got sick, you know, I got down to like, for like two Oh seven or two Oh eight, which is pretty light for me. So I'm working my way back. Um, but, um, been getting in the gym and, and feeling stronger. Okay. Yeah. So workout out of scale of one to five. I'd say four. Ability to focus. Again, man. I mean, it's, it's like, an, <laughs> it's like someone lifted the veil. Lifted the veil. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes, like if you haven't smoked a lot of weed before and then you do, you see things clear, right? Because right. it's like the epiphany comes in the altered state. But when the altered state becomes the constant, then the epiphany doesn't come. Mm-hmm. And you get kind of bogged down in that state. So then the, so then the altered state is sobriety. And right. the epiphany comes in sobriety. 
So that's where I'm at right now. I think mm-hmm. like, you know, completely cleaning myself up and haven't been drinking either or doing anything like that. So I feel sharper than mm-hmm. I have in a while. And I feel more present for each moment than I have in a while. Like, you know, weed can be useful in, in a lot of ways, but sometimes it can make you shrink in the moment a little bit. Like, I don't want to have that conversation with my neighbor. So I'm not going to go out and do the yard work that I want to do when I smoke weed because I don't want to talk to it, you know. To, to because they might sort of wreck the just mode like, I'm in you or. Just kinda, you just kind of shell up a little yeah, bit. Yeah. You know what I mean? And right. like, you don't participate as much. You might see the phone call and just not answer it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I, I can't afford to be that right now. I got fucking fired. Right. I got to find a new source of income. I got to be present mm-hmm. for whatever comes my way. Right. You know what I mean? And so that's part of why I'm, why I'm doing it. And I feel sharper. I do. So it's called a four, man. Okay. Well, what you're saying resonates with regard to any kind of altered state feeling like a treat if you stay away from it long enough. Yeah. Like there are times where, uh, so you've met my friend, Mike, I think from LA he's in town today. He's going to come over tonight. I'm going to cook some food. We'll have some whiskey before food, right? That will feel really cool because I didn't drink it all last night. I haven't drunk much in the last week, but like you're saying, if it becomes an every night thing, which it can, because you're going to social events and now you're having three drinks and then you're a little fuzzy the next day and you start to just, kind of get into that snowballing of a little bit of just not feeling great. Right. It's interesting how then the sobriety or a pure day feels wondrous yeah. by comparison. Yeah. I think it's also true even with like TV. Yeah. If you take a week away from television and then you let yourself sit down and watch a movie, you're like, this is so nice. <laughs> right. But if you do it every night, you're like, yeah. I feel like a piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's just, I mean, these are not revelatory thoughts that I'm expressing. No, but. I mean, they sort of are because we get stuck in these routines and we don't realize mm-hmm. what it's doing to us. Right. You know, what we're compromising and maybe it's, we're compromising our own epiphanies and our own perspective and our own ability to see the thing that we should be doing right. in our lives. The thing that presents itself to us or, or that, you know, um, is the next thing for us. We don't see it if we're just stuck in these repetitions. And Which become, they're, they're really, we're really talking about habits, right? Yeah. So they're, has always been this thought that, well, marijuana is not addicting. The truth is that any behavior is addicting if you repeat it enough times because you just get, it becomes habitual. And I guess there is a, a slight difference between, so if something's habituated and something is addicting, right? Yeah. Something can be physically addicting like cocaine or caffeine or something like that versus I'm just addicted to the system that I've built to my day. Every day I go home. That's what it is. And then I turn on the TV or I, light a joint or yeah. I get a beer, whatever the thing yeah. is. Yeah. It's, it's, I think we, I don't know what the right phrasing for that is, but it is a form of addiction because we're addicted to that yep. habit. Yeah. Like uh, these are the, these are the things I was, have been thinking about. And, you know, th- like I said, three or four days in, I was physically uh, completely free from it. Like I wasn't like, Oh God, I really need to smoke some weed. It wasn't like that. Mm-hmm. But there are these points in certain days when I would, before I did this thing, or if I had like an extended period of time alone, at the house, I don't get a lot of alone time anymore, you mm-hmm. know? And sometimes I like to spice my alone time <laughs> with a little bit of, uh, right. bra- you know, brain food, right? <laughs> and so it's, it's been a challenge for me to, to, to fully appreciate those, that alone time without doing that thing that we, I would usually use to enhance it, right? right. So, like, so are you replacing it with something else? Because that's the, what they say so much about changing habits, right? Yeah. Is that you're still going to have that desire to 
perform a behavior, right? And we talk here a lot about cycle of cue, behavior, reward. Yeah. So the cue might be, I'm home, I'm by myself, I want to have a nicer time, right? <laughs> right. right. So then the behavior is, I smoke a joint or whatever the thing is. Yeah. The reward is, I am slightly altered and I can relax. Yeah. So you still want to have that nice time. So what is the cue that, or like, what's the behavior that you're putting in instead of? I think it's just the strength I'm gaining in, in saying no to that moment. Mm, you know okay. what I mean? Like the willpower building and, and the strength building and me realizing that I can actually be sharper, more productive with this time if I mm-hmm. don't do that. You know what I mean? Like actually get more shit done. Actually probably get better so you're yeah. leaning in a lot of ways on the reward. Yeah. You're f- the feeling of, mm-hmm. I feel successful. I feel yeah. competent. Does that yeah. track? Yeah. And then there's also this thing, like when you do succumb to this thing that you sort of have, have wanted to stop for a while and haven't had the strength to, it becomes like a chore to do mm-hmm. it. You don't feel good about yourself when, you, when you're like, okay, you know, I'm going right. to do <laughs> the thing I always do and I don't want to do it, but I guess mm-hmm. I have to, you know, there's that, like. No, you don't fucking have to. You don't right. have. You have the willpower to change any behavior in your life at any moment, but you have to get through these days, like the long day. Like, you know, twenty-one days doesn't sound like a long time, but one day is a fucking eternity, and a single moment can drag on forever. When you are frustrated, or you're tired, or you need something to take you out of a certain mindset, the easy answer is to reach here and do this thing mm-hmm. that you know is going to shift the pers- or you know click you out of it. Right. How do you endure these long, eternal moments to get through the day? But then the day starts stacking up and you realize, oh my, you know, you look in the rear of your mirror and it's right. three weeks later and it's fine. You know what I mean? So, well, how would you advise someone going through this that maybe doesn't have the same kind of experience with willpower that you do? Do something different in that moment. Right. Okay. When it, whenever, if you're sitting there and you're overcome with a certain feeling, you're sitting in front of your computer. You're looking at something. Close the computer. Get up and go outside. Mm-hmm. Go for a walk. Go do the laundry. You know, get in your car and go drive to the fucking store and pick up a loaf of bread. Right. Like, just do something physically different. Mm-hmm. Get your body moving in a different direction. And that will give you new thoughts. You know, put on a different song. Or, or just, just change the scenery mm-hmm. around you in that moment. Um, I think that's a, that's a good way to do it. Is your wife on board? Totally, hundred yeah. percent. So she has she been helpful with sounding board of yeah. Hey, I you know here's what I'm going through. Yeah, tell me not to do that or whatever. Yeah, well, yeah, and she you know she still smokes sometimes herself because mm-hmm. you know she'll come home after a long day of work and she doesn't she's not a drinker and she doesn't do any other drugs and so for her that's how she relaxes from time to time. So um, she's been conscientious of it. Um, um, I have always been a very slick stoner and I've always prided myself on nobody ever knowing that I'm doing it, you know, mm. like, so like, so I come from a different school of thought of school of her than her. Mm. Like I understand the wind and the, this and the, that, and how it's to the just, California in you. Well, the, nobody's ever going to know <laughs> right, with me. Right. She's not quite as careful or as, as intricate with her conce- concealing habits. So yeah. I will catch a whiff, you know, like she doesn't understand that the angle of the draft and how things are going to work and bring it into the house you're and like a, in the face with it. You're like an elk hunter. Like, look, I got downwind. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like you have to understand the wind patterns and the house and the, and the draft in the house. And if you go in the backyard and smoke in the backyard, right by the door, and then you open the door and walk in, well, that smoke's going to get sucked in. It's going to go all the way through the house. It's going to hit me in the fucking face. Now Max is high. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, um, 
so anyway, I'm not going to fault her for not being weird like me. She's been incredibly uh, supportive of it. Um, and, you know, has told me that I seem sharper, that I seem that she's liking my vibe, that, my, mm-hmm. you know, my aura is better and, and things like that. So, and, and I'm also doing more, taking a lot more meetings. I'm doing more writing. I'm doing, I'm, you know, since getting fired, and it's not just about the weed, because mm-hmm. I was doing this before the weed, after I got fired, but I am hustling or trying to explore, cast a wide net and yeah. have all the conversations I should be having for a guy who's unemployed and looking for the next thing. Whereas I got complacent in my job. Mm-hmm. And I heard you and Scott talking about this. Like, it is liberating to get fired because you do realize, fuck that guy. I was probably unhappy there anyway. That wasn't the right place for me. And that was part of the reason why I'd come home and smoke weed after. Because I'm like, you know, throwing a blanket over these, over these feelings I had that I was being unfulfilled mm-hmm. at my job. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So, so a lot of times we do these things, these vices, because we're inherently unhappy and we don't want to face that. Which is something I see so much of in the world. I was at a coffee shop yesterday, ran into this girl that I know who I had invited her and her boyfriend to the 3600 here at The Process, our comedy show. And they're great. They brought some friends. I had told her then, come to this coffee shop I go to because it's close to where she works. She did. She brought a friend of hers. They both work for this um, cloud computing company. She's in sales, the friends in marketing. And when you're hearing them talk about it, you can just sense the death within them, <laughs> right? Just that like right. emptiness. Yeah. And I've been talking or thinking a lot because there's a lot of these people in Denver who work in tech and they, they have no real connection to their jobs. Mm-hmm. And so I think they do medicate through substance, through social media, whatever it is. I just think it would be interesting for them to get fired and get on the other side of it and realize like how much happiness potentially awaits them. Yeah. Right. That they, that they're, that it's not as bad as they think. Cause a lot of times they hold on to, well, I gotta have this job for the healthcare or yeah. for the, you know, $90,000 a year I make or whatever. Well, yeah. what if you didn't? Yeah. Bet you'd be fine. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you guys articulated that you know, the pros and the cons of that really well. Um, basically like, yeah, the security you get from the nine to five, that's great, but you're, you're dead inside. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to live that, that, that de- I'd rather live on the ledge of not knowing what the fuck was going to happen. And I'm gig to gig than to have the security of this American life that brings me no value and no purpose. And I feel like a fucking, like a, like a zombie. Here's a, a thought I've been having that I think relates to what you're talking about. So as you're moving through this 21 days, you're seeing an increase in your ability to focus, your ability to just get stuff done, your ability to get to be present. Those things really resonate with me because I think it took me a long time to switch over from being a night person to a morning person, right? Because our whole careers, the games are at night, practices at night, you're up late, all of that. It took me a long time to see the value of getting up early, getting my writing done, getting to the coffee shop, like banging stuff out. And when I'm doing that really well, I feel this sense of accomplishment that you mentioned, this sense of progress and fulfillment. I do think though, that I miss sometimes the, the big high of whether it was the game or even a great night out with your friends where because of, of the drinks and the concert or whatever the thing is that's happening, there is that potential of like this real peak experience happening and sometimes i because i didn't drink till i was 27 so i saw both sides of this (laughs) (laughs) you didn't know this about me like nothing nothing not a single drink i mean i would have like 
if we're at a, a party, Zima. I might have like a half of a beer just to be nice, right? But I, wow. I never had more you than You didn't that. get drunk until you were 27. Correct. And so I've, I've had What did this, you guys do in high school? Like, I was, was a on? fucking nerd, Nate. Hey, yeah. Give me that. What are you doing? You're throwing away your lives. Yeah, that was, that was, I wasn't a narc, but I was definitely not cool. Uh, and, but I, but so I did you're it. Saying you for, lost your virginity at 27. <laughs> and then from there on, I, no. Uh, but I, so I, I saw what life was like without some of those peak social experiences. I had a lot of peak sports experiences, right? That I, that took out plenty of space for that. And so I've, I've spent a lot of my life thinking about like, what is the value? of letting go once in a while. And I think there's actually a great deal of value. Yeah. Like when people are true recovering alcoholics, I find it to be such a bummer. Cause I'm like, I do think we need these occasional kind of festival, almost tribal experiences once in a while. So I'm wondering like, does that, are you, do you feel that sense of like, yes, this is great. And I love this, but I also still want some occasional yeah, yeah. ramping up. Yeah. So the, the quitting weed thing is more of a personal thing. I don't want it to be a personal vice that I do every day when I'm by myself and when I'm right. just living life. Now, when I'm hanging out with my friends and then someone passes me a joint, I'm going to hit that shit right. you know, because I, I, I appreciate the value of the journey that you take with one another when you're getting fucked up together, whether it's yeah. a, a joint or alcohol or something else, you know, this journey that you go on together, you're ingesting the same substance. Mm-hmm. You're going somewhere together. You become closer. Right. Many of my, all my best friends, I've gotten fucked up with and that's how we became best friends. Right. You know what I mean? And you learn so much about one another. You go through, there's like some in unexplainable bonding that happens molecularly. Mm-hmm. I think when you go on these journeys with one another and the, you know, the Coachella's and the burning man's that's part of it, you know, right. but it can be as simple as, you know, the fantasy football freaking weekend that I have with my college buddies, where we get together and everything's on the table and everyone's right. just ingesting everything anyone brought, you know, yeah. and it's like three days of freaking debauchery. And then you go back to your lives and you have those memories and it does buoy you. Me and my buddies used to rent a beach house in Newport uh, beach every year for one week. And it turned into kind of this cult. Where um, we would give out an MVP jacket. There were rules to become the MVP. You had to stay for the, all seven days. You couldn't take a nap at all. Mm. You had to go out at all seven nights. There were little unspoken rules and things. But it, but it, was, it was like the fountain of youth. Like you've seen mm. Cocoon, right? Mm-hmm. It yeah. was like that. Like we would go back to our lives and we were like three years younger. And our wives and girlfriends were like, who is this guy? Yeah. I like him. I don't want to know what you guys did there. Right. But I like this guy. There was yeah. something that, that was good for the soul for that so so no um i i think as you're saying that i'm thinking about how it seems like we live in such an extremist time where people are either like i drink a lot or i don't drink at all and we have forgotten how to find that balance right because i see this a lot with with my male friends where you can't get them out of the house now they're so in on being the dad and you're like I bet your wife would like you a lot more if you would just let me steal you for a weekend and you could be reinvigorated around some of the things that make you the man that she cared about in the first place. It's really interesting because I've, I've been on both sides of that. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, I had, I had kid, I had a kid late. I was, you know, 40 when he was born, I was 39 when I got married. I was like 35 or 36 when I met my wife. Prior to that, I was the single guy. right? Right. And my friends were, were getting married. 
and having kids and being like, no, I can't. I'm like, oh, dude, the baby, the baby. Fuck you, man. Come on out. Let's fucking do this. Stop being a bitch, you know? And now here I am being a bitch, right? And I'm like, fuck, because there's something that like pulls you into that, that, <clears throat> that nuclear family with your, with your wife and your kid and however many kids you have. And each moment feels like you have to be present for it. And if you leave, you're like betraying your significant other and leaving them out on this island that they can't handle. Right. But I have friends whose marriages have dissolved because they didn't do the things that you're suggesting. Right. Because they grew resentful of mm-hmm. their wife because they weren't allowed to go be themselves because they got so sick of each other. And then they give me that same advice. You got to go do those things. You got to get away. You got to remember who you are. Mm-hmm. And whenever we go do that, because we do try to do that, come back, like you said, a better version of yourself, the person they fell in love with in the first place. Yeah. They didn't feel, fall in love with this milk toast beta dude who's like, oh, let me do the dishes. No, right. they fell in love with a badass dude who's like, come here, oh, you know? Right. So, yeah, man, it's, it, but it's hard to remind yourself of that. And it's mm-hmm. hard, it's hard because there's always something. There's like, oh, like there's Clayton's birthday party next week. And then there's this and then there's that. It's like, it's hard to find the time. And, uh, and that sounds like a, you know, a little bitch saying that. Uh, but anyway, yeah, dude, it's, 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 it's a real struggle. Yeah, it's something I've thought a lot about because I was such a straight edge person for so long. I would, when my friends would come to college to visit, like my high school friends, I'd be like, well, why do we got to go out and you guys get shit faced? Why can't we just hang at the apartment? You know, because I was watching a movie, man. Yeah, like I was just such a dork where I was like, well, why does there have to be booze involved? And on some level, I was slightly correct because they would also go to the bar where it was a nickel beer from Mm. seven to 10, drink 20 of those and then pass out. They weren't like actually (laughs) interested in having an experience. Literally nickel. Yes. Wow. Right. It was, why would they do that? It was $2 cover. And then Uh, from seven to 10, it was a nickel for anything. Silver got you a beer. Oh shit. And then they would cut that off at 10. So they were hoping people would just like get in. And then now people start to show up and it starts to be fun. Wow. Interesting. This is Iowa state, man. That's how how things went down. Um, and so in some ways I think I was right that you, you shouldn't always need booze in order to connect, but I was also wrong because I just didn't understand what was on the other side of it. That, yeah. Like you're saying, there is this, and I do think I always come back to, well, what did our ancestors do? I think there was a reason that once every season or month or lunar cycle, you would have these big festivals that allow people to be altered and be in a different state of mind. And like you were saying bond through that experience and in some ways i think we just we have tried to like clinicize everything we're like well no you should you only do these things there's 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 almost too much of the like personal development stuff floating around yeah people are like alcohol is poison you shouldn't ingest it yeah well no shit (laughs) yeah dude i mean you go on freaking twitter tiktok and everything's gonna kill you it's like the the truth about blueberries like (laughs) fuck you man i just want to eat some fucking blueberries everything it doesn't have to have a secret or a secret truth it'll make you like or is this gonna kill you like yeah we're gonna die we are gonna die Mm -hmm. and some stuff that we eat is dirty and some things that aren't good for us but you know what you can't spend your life worrying about all that shit, right? right? And and when you go out with a pack of your friends and you get fucked up, you run into other packs of people who are also doing it, and you have these bonding experiences with strangers right. that you never have in any other way. Right. And you'll meet strangers and have conversations or moments with people you'll never see again, but that do connect our community and connect our society in ways that actually make you empathize with other people and don't make you so insulated. And the world we live in now is so fucking insulated. Mm-hmm. The algorithms on our phone create this bubble that we live in, and uh, Nobody can get in, man. And the only way you can penetrate those bubbles is put those phones down and go out into the world 
and interact with people. Mm-hmm. And that helps you interact with people. Yeah. It helps to, uh, it, what I always say again, having spent so much time not drinking is that it, it's so much about making other people tolerable. <laughs> yeah. And that's true, right? Like they're, like you're yeah. saying that people come from these different walks of life and yeah. it, it kind of like brings us all to a similar wave in a way yeah for now we can get along yeah. all right how's your connection to your long-term values i'd say it's pretty high man i'm, I'm okay I, I hesitate to give myself a five but i feel like you I'm can pretty, you're allowed but i'm pretty uh i'm pretty i'm pretty focused on that so i'm gonna say five all right so right now last week or sorry not last week last time you were on the podcast your total was a 17 this time it is a 21 yeah, man. People get fired. It'll help you. Uh, <laughs> Go out, get fired, stop smoking weed, yeah. and uh, write more. Yeah. Answer. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, what uh, what's the one thing you would like to do between now and the next time you're here? Um. Yeah, a couple things, I guess. Um. So, I'm talking to some folks about you know employment and, sure. and ways to uh, to get a paycheck or mm-hmm. to get paid. So that would be nice. Um. <laughs> make money. Uh. But um. These couple writing projects that I'm working on, I think that I would like those to come to fruition a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Finish the weed journal and see if there's anything to it. Okay. Kind of go back and finish see. weed journal. Yep. It's going to go on the list here. Yep. I'm also meeting with uh, Mike Shanahan next week oh, nice. um, to kind of try to flesh out this piece. I want to write about him mm-hmm. and the Shanahan offense. That's uh, for you football nerds out there. That's uh, been a staple of NFL football for a couple of decades now. His son still runs it, and so do some of the most successful coaches in the NFL, and they learned it from him. And I want to ask him, what is the Shanahan offense? You know, mm-hmm. take me into it. And mm-hmm. in, in addition to that, to me, what made him a great leader and a, and a great coach was not just the Shanahan offense. It was his entire operational system. We've talked about leadership before mm-hmm. and, you know, the way you hold people accountable. There was an alumni event like last month that I went to, and he talked. He, was, he talked at it and he said like when he got the job as the Denver Broncos head coach, he talked to Pat Bowen, the owner. And one of the prerequisites that it was that any, anybody we get in the building, no matter what their job is, they have to be top five in the world at what they do. Mm. That's the standard we're creating here. You know what I mean? And so everybody was held to the same fucking standard. It wasn't like, um, oh, John Elway, we love you, but we don't love anybody else. No, everyone had the same standard. And I think that's what created the excellence. It wasn't just about the offensive system. It was about the attention to detail with everyone there. And I wanted to talk to him about that and, mm-hmm. you know, flesh that out. But, um, as, uh, would lead to a, could book lead to or, a book. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think so because, because there's so many like spider webbing stories from it because mm-hmm. his son, Kyle Shanahan is the head coach in San Francisco and they're very good. Oh, right. Um, Mike McDaniel, who's the head coach in Miami Dolphins right now, very quirky dude. Sure, um, I've heard about this. Was the was the ball boy for us in 2005. Oh, really? So I used to oh, fuck with cool. this, this kid yeah, yeah. every day. He was a really funny guy. Yeah. And he ends up becoming a coach, and then he's a head coach of a really successful team. And he mm-hmm. does things in his his own way. He does the Shanahan offense, but he's also a very compassionate kind of deep thinker guy who's been on some spiritual mental journeys of his own mm-hmm. with his friends, you can tell, and has come to some conclusions that are unique, you know? And I think that kind of diving into how that type of leadership manifests as a football coach would be interesting. So um, who knows where to lead, but I hit up Mike and he's, he's down to meet. So we're going to meet at his restaurant, um, have, oh. some, have some yummy food and talk ball. Man. Oh yeah. Okay. So finish the weed journal. Talk to Mike Shanahan. Those are the goals. Two separate pieces. I'm yes. not going to talk to Mike about weed. Uh, yeah, he doesn't seem, from what I know of him, 
like a big weed guy, like a big cannabis guy. Yeah, it's cannabis, man. Get it right. Okay, so let's talk about this. Question on the table is, what's a better measure of success, joy or achievement? Mm. Um, after you pitched that to me, I looked up uh, just a, a little starter. This is from a Harvard Business Review piece on the subject. When it comes to fueling our obsession with acquiring more money, expensive toys, professional successes, or prestige, we have help. Our brain's reward system, especially the neurotransmitter dopamine, drives us to achieve goals and rewards us with a great sense of pleasure when we do. But that pleasure is short-lived as our brains are hardwired to also seek balance from extreme emotional states. That leaves us with an empty longing to repeat whatever experience brought us that pleasure in the first place. This ostensibly addictive cycle throws our enoughness barometers completely out of whack, preventing us from being able to objectively gauge if what we're achieving is, in fact, satisfying. That's why, although most of us intuitively know that happiness isn't realized from the pursuit of money, status, or fame, we can't stop ourselves from trying. Which I think does a pretty good job of summarizing what we all go through in this battle between what's enough, what's enough joy, what's enough success, yep. what's your opening volley on which of these is the better measure? Joy, I think for me. Um, and, 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 you know, joy may be a trite way of explaining it, maybe purpose as well. Just kind of, um, feeling like your life has purpose, um, or, or you, you're, you're able to be in the moment and enjoy the moment. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, um, and being a father has challenged me in, in a lot of ways, being a husband has challenged me in a lot of ways, just cohabit. Habit, habitating mm -hmm. has challenged me in so many ways because for so long I was, I was the solitary, just thrill seeking, sprinting forward into life, taking every opportunity that came and just like trying to accumulate as much wealth and, you know, all that <laughs> stuff as I possibly could. Right. But it did leave me empty. Like I would always long for that, which I did not have. Mm -hmm. um, and no amount of money was enough. It was not like I was ever rich, rich, but I was playing in the NFL. So I was making pretty decent money. That said, I was never like, that's enough. You know, I'm, I'm good. I wanted to I'd take it as far as I possibly could and make as much money as possible because you can always look next to you and there's a guy with more money, you know, and there's this, there's this meme I saw on the internet with like these two, like, yachts passing each other and like one's the millionaire's yacht and one's mm -hmm. the billionaire's yacht right mm -hmm. and so the millionaire looks at that yacht and he's like oh man i'm a loser i'm mm -hmm. a fucking loser right and the billionaire probably finds a way to say that to himself right it is never enough and, and when you're chasing sexual gratification you know you know what that's like Paul. But that can feel you know like it's never enough you mm -hmm. know and like oh okay it's the next it's the next partner it's the next experience it's the next thing this is going to satisfy me and there's an emptiness when you have um, an experience that doesn't feel like it gets to your heart, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so when I was playing in the NFL and I was single and I was doing all that stuff, there was there was an emptiness that always existed. And I was right. I would write in my journal about it, like confused by it, confused by the feelings I was having that I was unfulfilled. I had achieved my dream, mm -hmm. and people would say that you're living the dream. Mm -hmm. well, no, like it was my dream and now it's my reality and it doesn't taste like I thought it would, right? Now I'm living your dream. So now that I'm a dad mm. and my life is incredibly frustrating and I don't have much money anymore and I got fired and I don't have a variety of sexual experiences, my, I'm happier, dude, you know, mm -hmm. because I'm, str I'm just like struggling through the ups and the downs of like this purpose driven life where I see the look on my son's face and that can, 
balance the scales after a whole day of frustration. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Or just like do the things that need to be done. Like not for me, but for my family. Um, and so that to me derives me joy, even though I'm not like, I'm a, I'm happy, I'm joyful, I'm smiling. Right, right. But like, that's not really what life is, right? Like it's it's always going to be um, up and down and up and down and up and down. And ultimately, are you, do you feel fulfilled with where you are and who you're with and what your effort is being spent on, you know? A thing that occurs to me as you're talking about that is how strange our experience has been because we achieved the, there is no going beyond playing in the NFL or the NBA. There's going beyond in terms of being an all pro or a hall of famer or something like that. Right. But there is a certain level that you reach that is, you cannot go beyond. And that's actually really rare in life. Like there's not a limit to how much money you could make or how much status you could get. But we had a strange experience because there was an actual ceiling and we hit that ceiling. And so that also, I think for me, it, it, it wrecked my understanding for a while of the pursuit of achievement because I, I was like, well, I did just like you, I achieved the thing that if you had told me this when I was 12, I would have said, I can die after that. Yeah. I'll just die immediately and that'll be fine. Right. And now I'm here and I am truly no happier and maybe less happy in certain ways, largely because of what you're saying. Cause other people are telling me I should be happy. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't, (laughs) I don't feel a lot happier. I still have to go out there every day and, practice and get injured and all these other things. I would say that one thing that is that I have found to be true is the achievement will not make you ever happy, but the pursuit of achievement always keeps you feeling some sense of joy, right? If you're able to figure out some way to be able to make incremental progress at something that challenges you, that can bring you fulfillment that borders on joy. As long as you don't ever start to think that there will be an end to it. Yeah. Right. If you can exist in that sort of Buddhist element of suffering, which doesn't mean like hot coals on your body kind of suffering, but the suffering of the day to day and find bits of joy in that, that that seems to be the, the measure for me. So it is about joy, but it's through doing. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. finding like always striving, knowing that the result of all of this striving will not actually make you happy, right. which is a real fucked up place to be. Cause that's yeah. a strange yeah. balancing act. No, it's right? true. But that seems to be the key. And one thing I learned from my, my career playing football was that like, there is never some moment of triumph, right. like this ultimate moment, like you said, where I've arrived and everything's fine and I can die now because a, a, a lot, oftentimes the, the moment of triumph is followed by, an injury or you getting, or you getting your ass kicked or some, the very next day coming down to earth or the very next minute coming back down to earth. Like mm-hmm. it's up and it's down and up and it's down. And like you said, you have to just keep moving and keep working. I mean, in, in a really uh, micro way, I, doing the dishes, man, they never fucking stop. Like right. you're the fucking little kid and all that shit. It's like, dude, again, again, yeah, again. And, yeah. and it's never going to stop. So you keep doing those things mm-hmm. and you have to, find comfort and find Zen in the process of doing them and not think like, yep, this is it. It's done. No, it's, you know, five minutes later, they're going to come home and and you're going to make dinner and it's going to have to be done again. Mm -hmm. And the laundry is going to have to get done again. And my son's going to piss in his bed again. And the sheets are going to have to get changed again. And all that stuff's going to continue to happen. 
And I feel like, you know, oh, what was this uh, quote I read recently? But it was like, um, one day of worry is more tiring than a, a week of work or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, if you just, you know, I don't know if that applies here. It kind of, I mean. But if you just stay moving. Right. And you're then you are content. And it was sort of like that harkens back to what we talked about earlier when you're feeling like your, your thoughts are tormenting you, you're about to reach for that vice again. If you just stay moving mm-hmm. and work on something, go do something that you have to do, you will find peace of mind. And the peace of mind is what we're looking for here, right? It's not like, right. and, you're, and, and the, it's not your bank account that gives you peace of mind. Now, when you're broke and it starts to build up, that gives you a little peace of mind. Mm-hmm. And it lasts for a little bit of time. But then once that, that new reality has yeah, once you've, yeah, yeah. Yourself, you've acclimated to that and there's level. something new that's going to torment you right right and so so how do you find um your peace of mind and mm-hmm. and for me i have more peace of mind now as a father and as a husband even though i get fucking frustrated and i fucking do this all the fucking time and i walk down in the basement and i say oh i gotta fucking do this because you're living with someone who does things differently than you and and that's just something you have to accept being married you know mm-hmm. what i mean like you don't do anything the same way. And so, but that doesn't matter, man. Mm-hmm. It's, it's mm-hmm. inconsequential. And so ultimately, man, I think that, you know, the people who have all the diplomas on the wall and all the bank accounts and all the cars and all the jewelries, it doesn't mean that they have peace of mind and it doesn't mean that they have fulfillment or joy. And, right. and I think we can get lost in that sometimes. So as you were talking about cohabitating, I was thinking about how somebody, I saw a piece recently about how the reason for most burnout at people's jobs is because people don't have a friend at that job. Mm. And what I think is it actually ties back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier, because it can start to feel kind of futile if you're saying, well, the dishes keep coming and like, uh, like it feels very one or two dimensional. The interesting third dimension is other people, right? So as you're experiencing this struggle and this striving, with another person or another group of people, right. then it becomes purposeful, right? Because you're going through it together. Yeah. I think we get lost because we're so siloed in our phones and in our laptops and just in our own narcissism. It can start to feel like, well, what's the point of ever achieving anything if it's going to just be down? Well, yeah. the point is I'm doing it with other people. We are sharing this experience. At the end of our lives, we will look back and say like, glad I met all those people and I did something. Are you talking about bringing in some neighbors to do my dishes with you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Mark, can you come on in here, please? I got a pot. Can't I think this is how uh, weird communes get started, actually. <laughs> no, I think, uh, I think you're right about that because, like, I don't, you know, my house that I grew up in with my mom and my dad, my dad didn't do the dishes. My dad didn't do the, the laundry. My mm. mom, dad didn't cook. My mom handled all that back then. Um, these days, I think. Marriages are a bit different. I mean, every marriage is different, mm-hmm. but my, my marriage with my wife is we, we cooperate with that stuff. You know, we do it together. It's not like you do, you know, you do all of this and I'm going to go be the working man. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, we, we cooperate, we collaborate and, uh, we make it work together and, um, you know, we just do our best with it. And one thing you guys were talking about last week as well, um, that I enjoyed was how, how, how many fewer distractions or or kind of struggles our parents had growing raising us. It was like, you know, they didn't have all this shit that we have to worry about now. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have all this nonsense that I think fills our mental space and makes life more stressful mm-hmm. than it used to be. You know, like back in the day, you get what, two or three bills a, a, 
a month that they come in the mail and you sit down and you pay them and you send them off and you don't have to worry about it. You don't get alerts on your fucking phone all the time. Right. This forces you to do stuff. And it's just our phones are always forcing us to do stuff. Mm-hmm. We get emails that force us to do stuff. And I think that can make us very frustrated and can, some, can sometimes close us off to the moment and make us want to check out. It Because it actually triggers or tips back into this the piece they're talking about. Our brain's reward system, especially the dopamine, drives us to achieve goals and rewards us with a great sense of pleasure when we do. So think about the notification on your phone. It allows you to quickly take care of that yeah. thing. Done. Right? Got like, it. I responded to that text. Yeah. Or I responded to that email and now yeah. that's done. And so I think it, it is, and we'll talk about this uh, continually on this podcast. It is a hijacking of our brain's best intentions, right? Yeah. Our brain's best intentions are we're out of firewood. Right. I need to go chop some firewood so I can heat the house so that my wife and kid have heat. Right. That is a very positive form of uh, achievement results in success, right? Yep. But we get that same kind of hit from, I responded to that tweet. <laughs> yeah. Or you're like out of firewood, so you open your phone to look at the firewood thing, and instead the first thing you see is this thing about your shingles, that you need new shingles, and there's right. also this thing about the freaking toilet paper, and it's also the thing about your neighbor Steve who has a dog. Like, so it's like fills your brain with all this other shit. Right. When you can't do one task at a time, mm-hmm. the phone suggests that you need to do more. Mm-hmm. And like, how many times have you opened up your phone with one intention and it pulls you in a different one? Every and then time. Five, 10 minutes later, you're like, why was I here again? Yes. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, like on Twitter, like, I don't know what's going on with Twitter, but all I'm seeing is just like mayhem. Right. Like, why? I don't want to see these images, but here they come again. I don't right. follow these accounts. Right. Here I am being shown awful, awful mm-hmm. stuff. Are you, uh, are you being shown the for you feed? Yeah. Oh, are you? Yeah. You know, you can change that. Okay. Can I? Because you sw- you can switch it to just the people yeah, you yeah. follow. Yeah, yeah. And I was getting pissed for a while because I was like, who are these people? Yeah. I don't care about for this. For me? Like, I want to know what Nate has to yeah. say. I want to know what yeah, Scott yeah, yeah. has okay, to say. Cool. So yeah, you can switch yeah. that. But I think, yes, we are. And again, we'll talk about this more, but I think we're headed to a reckoning where people are just like, this is stupid. Yeah. I don't need to do this to my brain yeah. any longer. True. Sure. That settles it. If you guys have uh, thoughts about this, I would love to hear. Send me a note, paul at createyourprocess.com. And uh, let's get you in on this conversation. You can even write us a little paragraph. What's, what's a better measure of success, joy or achievement? Thanks, Nate. Good luck with Mike Shanahan and the Weed Journal. Thank you. Looking forward to our next chat. Hey friends, Paul here. I really appreciate you listening. The executive producer of the Process Podcast is Rich Burner. Music came to us courtesy of Kevin McLeod at incompetech.filmmusic.io. I'll talk to you again soon.